Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories, learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Emmanuel Jahl, 
Emmanuel recounts his gripping story from his time as a child soldier of Sudan Civil War to escape and rescue. A war child turned activist and rising hip-hop artist, hear how Emmanuel uses his voice to help those who can't speak for themselves, how music became his painkiller, and how we can use story for survival and shaping the future. Emmanuel, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Well, thank you for putting me in this show and uh, taking your time to allow me to be able to come and share my experience yeah, with your so, audience. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I came across you by way of my friend uh, AJ Leon, and uh, I get to see a little bit of, uh, of what your story was about at Misfit. And I was very intrigued. So uh, speaking of, of your story uh, and your journey, can you tell us a, a bit about the story, your background, and how that has brought you to doing the work that you do today? Well, the work I'm doing today is basically shaped by my past. So the journey that I'm walking in is an adaptation of different routes that I took. And I became an accidental musician. I didn't plan to be a musician. It wasn't my desire to be a musician. I wanted to go to school and be an educated person. So I come from South Sudan and the experience I experienced as a childhood, I would say, are rough. And my childhood was robbed from me. The peace was taken away from my home. The first time I witnessed war, I thought the world was ending because you hear different sound, people crying, people running from one place to another, you know. And having to go through that when I'm displaced, I don't know where my brothers and sisters are, when my mother is, the, the, what torments you is you don't know what is happening to them. And learning as time went on, the war reaching the core of my family. So the war took all my aunties, including my mom, some died of starvation, some died of diseases, you know, and some I don't even understand up to now how they died. All my uncles too died during the war, except two. Then by the age of seven, my father decided to, to tell me that I'm, gonna to, I'm going to go to school in Ethiopia. And that was really an exciting journey for me because my mom showed me how important education is and how I used to hear from her stories that uh, people who are educated are able to make things and then we hear the stories from the adults. When you ask questions, how did they make the tanks? How did they make the helicopters that are firing at the villages? How do they make the guns? How do they make the cars? And the answers were given and they're made by people who went to school. So it made it so exciting for me to want to go to school. And thousands of kids were collected and they were told they're going go to go to school in Ethiopia. And we had to walk hundreds of miles. On the way, some kids died of starvation, some of dehydration. Crossing the river was also difficult because the, the, the current was heavy. Some were swept off by the, the water and some also were eaten by crocodiles. And hippopotamus don't eat, but they're territorial. So when you pass where they are, they just smash people into two. It was a very exhausting journey. By the time we arrived in Ethiopia, for a while it was exciting, you know. But after a while, it became frustrating because you see six, seven years old burying their own dead. We make our own prayers when somebody died. When somebody died on a starvation, we bury them along the river. When somebody died of disease, we try to bury them along the forest. And so, and being in a situation like that as children where nobody's able to answer the questions that we ask, simple question like asking, how did they make the bag of maize? 
and when nobody's able to answer that to a child, then you see a kid would just run around and pull on them and apply their body would pull and they either go and try to climb a tree, the next thing you hear they've hung themselves. Sometimes what the aid workers would do when they identify a situation where kids are about to lose their mind, people would hold them down and they get injected or given some medication and their brain begin to cool down. So after a while, when we were staying in Ethiopia, we actually went to schools. Then after that, that's when we got trained. And that's when I became a child soldier. And so the training was tough. When we were being introduced into the training center, as I could remember, is people used to hide around the forest. And as we're just about to enter the training center, you see these child soldiers coming out angry with guns on their back, with the trainees, with the whip, and they're just beating people for no reason, just beating people up. So you're running, you drop your back, you're screaming, you're crying, you know, and you don't understand why they're beating us. We came for a training center. So basically we're welcome with violent Sit down, shut up, what are you doing? You look at don't look at me, look down. They kick you, they beat you, they it was and after that when we went to a training, you know, it was really high. Some kids died in the training. And one of the things I said, when I finish this training, the first person I would kill will be my trainer. Because you don't understand why they're humiliating us this way. And so when I almost quit the training, because in my heart, I was really bitter, and I can't put the words now as bitterness or angry as a kid then, because I didn't understand the war. But my desire was to finish the training and to kill as many Muslims as possible once I get my, my, my gun. Well, I, I was saying, once I get this gun, when I finish this training, I'm going to revenge for my family. I'm going to kill as many Muslims and Arabs as possible. And so that's, I, that's what was in my mind, because I didn't understand what the war was all about. And so when the training was done, we were brought back to, to the refugee camp. And so in the refugee camp, uh, what happened later was they d decided to collect the older young people. And those are the ones now they started to be sending into the battlefields. So the training, I was trained when I was like eight. So the training took like six to eight months. That's what I can think. You want me to continue from yes, there? Yes, please, please do. Keep going. So now in, a, in Ethiopia, what happened is a new government came in. And so we had to retreat back to South Sudan, which was difficult. So, um, I mean, if, if I try to talk in, uh, in the whole journey, it's going to take a long, so I'm trying to summarize. Because <laughs> for every journey, every step, you know, even just one place, I could spend a year talking about the, the situation. So what would be better is uh, if you're able to ask certain questions in certain areas. Sure. Like, like from here... We had to move back to South Sudan, which was really deadly, where a lot of young people died, you know, when we're trying to, to resist. And this is where the famous stories of every lost boys who have gone to America will tell you there's a river called River Gilo crossing into Ethiopia. People died. Mm -hmm. Leaving Ethiopia, people died. It's like that river just loved blood. 
because it claimed blood no, where the river became red because of how people got killed inside. Mm-hmm. Children, you know, because there was a lot of child soldiers. So, and here, this is where me, where me and the Lost Boys separated. Some of them decided to go to Kenya by foot. I decided to, to try to go to Kenya by using a different route. But unfortunately, I ended up being deep in South Sudan because there was a plane that was taking people. And so I jumped and I made my way into that plane. But instead, it took me into another direction. And I ended up in, into more war zone area. And so what I could try to say is my escape how I escaped from being a child soldier happened when SPLM, SPLA, the movement that was fighting for our freedom split because there was different ideologies where one, uh, which is uh, one, Dr. John Garan and Dr. Riyak Machar, Dr. John Garan wanted the entire Sudan and Dr. Riyak Machar is saying, look, we need to have a South Sudan. We need to ask for a referendum because these people are different from us. And even if we get independent, they'll still run over us because they're academically advanced. We're still behind. So we're not ready to unite. So we need to have a separate state. And based on the ideologies, because at that time, when you challenge the head of the movement, the sentence is death. You go to jail or you get killed, life prison, or you get killed. And so, cause during that time, they build a system of the highest person on the top is almost treated like God, and any person trying to challenge them, get killed. So that's why many educated people who wanted to join the movement at that time were killed if uh, they challenged the movement or tried to democratize it. And so when the movement split, what it did was a lot of people died. And so it became almost tribal. So those of us that were on the side of uh, John Garang were also in danger because the thing started becoming tribal. And people are looking for the closest person they could revenge on. And so then you see like people captains or, or lieutenant people, soldiers getting killed. So people began to turn on themselves. And that led into the failure of capturing the famous capital city now, Juba, by SPLA because the soldiers turned on themselves. And this is where we an escape was planned. And uh, around between two to 400 people mixed with adults young people, two to 400 young people mixed with adult plan and escape. In the first journey, we were told it was gonna go and take one month, but it took us three months. The first one month we had enough food. So when we ran out of food, we applied the basic soldier skills. Basically, eating anything we could find. So we started eating the leaves of the trees, but that became even, other started eating uh, other vegetable, but other people got poisons. I was lucky that I wasn't poisoned on anything I ate that time. And as the pressure mounts on, our journey was slow because we're avoiding minefields. At that time, one of my comrades, a child soldier was caught by a mine and when the mine exploded and took his leg, a shelling was on. So we are trying to avoid being ambushed. We're trying to avoid being followed on helicopters. And we're trying to avoid being followed because we plan uh, that escape. Because when you escape, 
and this the movement you skip from they'll follow you and also the other thing that they would do is and also because there was uh, uh, the other enemy so it's like the, you're escaping and you're surrounded by enemies so you move to another tribe is their territory they see they think you're oppressor they want to fight you so when we try to cross one of the desert, it was became difficult crossing the desert where people started drinking their own urine to survive. And some people maybe put a gun on their fellow soldier and tell them to fill a cup with urine so they could drink. So you would see these frustrations and how people, uh, how when you squeeze to the point, people begin to turn to themselves. Then we arrived in... Uh, much swampy area. The swampy area, also our numbers begin to decrease. There was a lot of water we were able to drink, but now we walked in water. You know, the water is like going up to your chest level. And if you fall down, nobody's able to pick you. So you'll just see only the bubbles coming out of that uh, water. And so, and then we moved on, so we started eating snails. Vultures, when they try to eat dead body, would shoot those vultures and eat them. But things became more intense at that time. The vultures, the snails, the longer appear when, when we arrive into a much dry area. So some soldiers began to eat dead bodies and they, they would roast them. Uh, my senses myself changed because I was tempted to eat my friend. So my friend was dying and I told him I'm going to eat you tomorrow. And so one guy, which was one of my comrades died, we put grenades, bombs around him, put him under a tree hoping if a hyena come, the bomb would explode and we would eat the hyena. But the highness come at a speed that I don't understand where the bomb would explode and the highness survive and they take the body. And so I went under that tree hoping I could find any piece of a dead body I could eat that nobody's able to see me. And unfortunately I couldn't find any. So then I still came and sat under that tree with a my friend, as he was dying, that night I had to battle with my mind where part of my mind tell me eat, part of my mind tell me don't. And if you eat this dead body, it's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. So I waited the whole night and I remember what my mother used to do. So I prayed to my mother's God and I said, God, if you're there, give me something to eat. And if I survive someday, I will give the credit to you. So this part of my journey is like the lowest point I've ever been because apart from being in the battlefield, seeing people die, this one was the lowest point, you know, when you're reduced to a situation where you want to eat somebody. Because my senses change, my fellow human beings smell like food to eat. I mean, for that night, I battle with my mind until like 11 a.m. when I was about to lose hope. Then a crow came. And that crow, one of my comrades shot that crow. He later died. But that's the crow that prevented me from eating my friend. And I ate everything from the clothes to the intestines, to the feathers, to the brain, to the head. I didn't throw any piece away. And then after that, more miracles. Vultures that were not showing early on started coming close, so would shoot them. So we had so much to eat. The snails that were hiding on the water started popping up. So it was almost like a miracle that had happened. And then we got rescued. And I ended up 
in Watt, in a place called Watt, where I met a British aid worker called Emma McCune. And she smuggled me to Kenya and put me in school. Then Emma later died, and it became tough, you know? So life went down. Though when I was in Kenya, she put me in school. Her friends tried to come and make me finish my high school. Her mother tried to get involved. So it became like a, a difficult life altogether, trying to stay, started living in the slums in Nairobi. But people helped me out here and there. And this is where music uh, took part in my life where now I'm doing the music. So I started doing music as a painkiller. Used to go to the church, we sing. Sometimes the choir would not accept me because I don't sing properly. But I keep on insisting doing what I'm doing until I was into rapping. Then I started rapping. So music itself became a painkiller. And it took me a while before I started becoming an activist and try to do the works that I was doing. Because mostly at that time I was engaged with myself. I was sometimes getting kicked out of schools, sometimes getting in trouble, sometimes thinking I was right. I was in a different world. But luckily I met a Kenyan woman called Mrs. Mumu, who happened to help me in the situation, because the first time she saw me, she said, hey, you are a leader. You're one day going to travel to talk to United Nations. You're going to travel around the world. You're going to do this and do this. I used to think that woman is nuts. You know, you, do you know my situation? I am suffering. I have issues now. I want this and this, but why is she's able to speak things that I'm actually doing now. So I was actually surprised how she was able to, to predict the future and the journey that I'm walking in. And uh, that's the, the place where my healing process began because I was able to be introduced to Martin Luther King. I was able to learn from Nelson Mandela. I was able to learn uh, from different people because Suffering, when I was in Kenya, I used to think we're the only people who suffered around the world, but my knowledge was expanded more to understand like there was slavery. The, the, the Americans that I used to see on TV, actually, I used to think they're Kenyans. So the African-Americans, the Tupacs, I used to, I never knew, I had an idea the biggie them, even Bob Marley, I never had an idea Bob Marley come from Jamaica. You know, I used to think these guys are Kenyans, they're all East Africans. Because my head wasn't expanding then. I didn't even know there's a place called West Africa or South Africa. So it took me a while for my mind to expand, you know. Mm -hmm. So my head only knew there was Uganda, there was Kenya, there's a place called Egypt, and that's where I am. And it's a place called USA, <laughs> you because know? we used to see the bag of maize dropping from sky, and then that's how we know the American flag and the USA. And so in the healing process, my knowledge was able to expand, and now I'm doing what I'm doing uh, because of that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Okay, <clears throat> awesome. So a ton of questions uh, about all of this. Just a, a really amazing story. And I, I figured that there are so many stories we could probably do 10 episodes with you just based on everything you said. But you know what? I want to go back to the very beginning uh, of the story. You know, to listen to you talk about having a childhood that was robbed and to witness so much pain and, and violence around you, uh, a couple of questions for me around that. One is, you know, how you navigated all of that, how that's shaped and influenced um, who you are and how you show up in the world today. Uh, and of course, you know, going through something so significant um so many people become a victim of their circumstances. I mean, this could have turned out very differently for you, and it sounds like it did for many of your friends. So, I mean, obviously, there's a, these are like three questions in one. One is is navigating that kind of just tremendous uncertainty and, and how we can bring that into our lives and, and how you've done it in such a, a difficult situation. Uh, you know, and you talked about violence. You know, violence uh, could have infused your life, but instead it, it, it played itself out in the form of music. Uh, and so, you know... How did you not become a victim of your circumstances? Because this, like I said, this could have easily become a very permanent way of seeing the world, but it didn't. I'll say uh, I'm just lucky. <laughs> I'm lucky, you know, people when I'm lucky. Why? Because I got rescued by a British aid worker. She took me in. She gave me the opportunities. So, you know, when, when, when somebody's taken away from a tough environment and brought to a place where there's more opportunities, they're able to heal faster and they're able to capitalize on those opportunities and will have the dying heart of wanting to give back. 
because I know how people suffering and I wanted to give back. And as they work to try to give back, they find their freedom. You know, I was in a situation where dad, the dad used to talk to me. I have nightmares. I was not able to sleep. For years, I was not able to sleep. The moment I sleep, it's terrible because in the sleep, that's when everything plays itself back. So I'd rather stay awake, just lying on the bed and my body rests. But my body is not able to actually have that uh, proper sleep. And so I'll say my healing process began because I was able to be introduced to different things. So when my knowledge was growing, I was a bitter young man. So everything started to be much clearer and much better. The journey became much better when I was able to forgive because I hated Muslims and Arabs and I wanted to kill as many. I came to Kenya. I'm in schools. I have Muslim friends. They're nice. They're Muslims in Kenya. They have no issues with other Christians. Then I was just shocked. Oh, and then where did I get all this idea? So now my knowledge increased. I came to realize what was killing us is not Muslims and Arabs. What was killing us is the resources, was the manpower, the free labor. And I came to understand that human beings are the same all over the world. You know, ideologies are built by human beings and they'll extend their love or their empathy to people of same faith or same color as them. And then when they build those ideologies, people who don't accept their ideologies, they begin to exclude or to try to terminate them or exploit them. And so, and when I began to understand that, soon I came to understand they are good Arabs, they are bad Arabs, they are good Muslims, they are bad Muslims, and they are good Christians, and they are bad Christians. So a lot of human beings are good. Some human beings are extraordinarily amazing. They are beyond goodness, you know. Then some human beings who are so insecure become so greedy, greedy and become so self-centered and it's all about them. And when they're on top of the pyramid, they tr destroy our world. And so, and, and that's how that knowledge of mine increased. And combining it with my experience became a wisdom. And when I forgave, I was able to walk upright. I was able to challenge my nightmares. I was able not to let hope go. I was able to be in a situation, look, if I am able to go back to war now, I'm not going to war because I hated Muslims or Arabs. I'm going to war to ask for justice, equality, and freedom for all. So all these things, it's a healing process, took a while, because sometimes somebody could say something and it could trigger. Then it will take a while for me to talk back to my brain and bring it to the normal way and say, look, it's okay. This is not done. So it took me a couple of years to try to strengthen my inner self to be able to, to take those bullets thrown at it. So when you forgive as a person, you are elevated to a different form. And if you look at it, somebody like Nelson Mandela understood the power of forgiveness and bringing his country together and saying, look, if we are on power and we begin to revenge, then we are going to be just as the same oppressors were oppressing us. But we can be in a different form. And when I think about it, I'm not only thinking about Nelson Mandela now, but I'm thinking about the entire South Africans. Anybody who managed to pull back or not go on the street and revenge is, I'll take that person as my hero because 
it's not only Nelson Mandela that made everything like that happen, but it's, it's the entire people who have agreed to be able to follow that way forward to try to build a new South Africa. It's a difficult journey, but it's something that will require a step-by-step. Step. So my forgiveness journey was a journey. It, would, it didn't just happen overnight. Mm -hmm. It's a constant spiritual growth. But also, when you are in a, an environment where you are religious, the healing becomes faster. And also, I became a musician, so music became my therapy. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a situation where I'm going to go to somebody and tell them my problem. And then they begin to advise me. I was, I decided just to, to share my experiences. And the first time was difficult. You know, the first time I did it, or I did it a couple of times, I felt like, I felt cheap. I felt like I'm selling my soul. But after a while, when I see the reaction from the people and how people want to do good to the world, and then... I got found a way that I can tell the story without hurting. Mm -hmm. But what makes it easier is telling it with music. When I'm on stage and I perform, it made it, it doesn't, I don't feel any pain. Hmm. So, you know, you say that you got lucky um, because you were rescued. But obviously, to me, there's something internally that allowed you to keep going until the point when you did get rescued um, through an insane amount of just awful experiences. And not everybody did. And I'm really, really curious, you know, what can we learn from that about sort of the mindset of a journey like this? And, and you know, I mean, how does that apply in our own lives? I mean, what does that mean for us who are listening uh, when we're going through difficult times? Because I can't imagine that most of us have gone through anything as nearly as, as painful as you have. But then, you know, I think about one of the things a friend told me that Viktor Frankl wrote in Man's Search for Meaning, that suffering is, is like a gas chamber. Whatever the gas chamber is, our suffering will fill it up regardless of whatever our experience is. So it's relative. Um, but I'm really curious, uh, I mean, is there just something internally built into you that you think uh, gives you an insane amount of grit in a situation like that? Well, I would say is when I was in that situation, I wanted to see my grandmother. I want to know how is her situation. I want to see my brothers and sisters. I want them to know I'm alive. So I didn't want to die because I want to see them. And also the second thing is, I was praying. And the other thing is, I'm saying, situation even came when I wanted to pull up, shoot my head, you know? And something tell me, look. And I think I actually did that one time I was in the, uh, a tree. Probably I don't know if I spoke about it. I was alone somewhere and I tried to pull a trigger because the suffering was too much. Then the bullet jammed. It did not work. You know? Mm -hmm. And then I cocked it out and something tells in my head, look, I'd rather die naturally now. I don't want to do it. You know? You know, you, be, you know when you have no hope, you become suicidal. But I think something gave me a chance if that bullet didn't go through. Why didn't it? You know? Because there's certain many things I did sometimes I cannot even remember. You know? So here, hope disappeared, it come back. You know? And I would say some of the things, maybe this is good for parents. I would say my mother in the few years I was with her, planted strong seeds that I still have now. And anything that you do to a child from the time they are born to around age six or seven, that will be a foundation to help them for the rest of their life. You know, their brain will be able to capture the emotional intelligence. It will be able to capture a strong character, a strong will, uh, confidence, you know.
Mm-hmm. And so I think my mother built that because I used to pray to my mother's God. Sometimes I'd ask, what would my mother do now? You know, I want to go to school. So I used to talk to myself. You know, as a little kid, you talk to your mother. You know, this. I talk to God, but mostly I talk to my mother, then I pray to God. I say, Mother, you know what is happening now? It's difficult, you know. But if you're there with the angels or with God, please pray for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I may do that. Also, I say, Mother, I want to die, you know. I don't want, I want to come, you know. This is, so, you know, conversation changes with different times. Then something good happened, you're happy, you forget about what should, actually what happened to you. Like there was a situation where... Uh, where we prayed and all of us were waiting to die under a tree and then it rained so we did not know whose God brought the water we were so excited you know about the 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 water that came but <laughs> when the water came we were so excited about the water we didn't even give thanks one of the things we didn't even know whose God brought the water so how are we going to give thanks you know Mm-hmm. So, certain situation, you know, you get excited, so you get confused. Is my mother God or is just, you know, but when a problem, another problem come and you pray after constant problems come, then you start say, hey, wait a minute, why is this good thing only happen when I pray? And so I, I decided to use that meditation, that prayer to be part of my life when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I want to spend one uh, last portion on this part of our conversation and then really start talking about your music and the work that you've done as an activist. Um, and this will actually make a perfect transition for that. And you talk about music as, as a way to heal um, the pain so that when you are able to sit here and you're able to talk to me and you're able to tell these stories, it doesn't take you back to this incredibly painful place. It doesn't create triggers. And I know that whatever experiences we have in our lives, um, there are some things that will create triggers and bring back the pain. And, you know, music became this healing thing for you. I mean, how do, when you look at people um, in the world who are suffering and having pain, you know, based on whatever it is they're experiencing in their life, I mean, what are your thoughts on how we heal from pain so that when we have these memories, they don't hurt? Um, or, or we get past the, past them and they, they, they're eventually just things that have happened? I mean, our bodies knows how to, to heal itself, but the community and the love and the environment around, how the cultures build their way of survival can help many people heal. You know, there's saying, which is an African proverb, if you want to go... Fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with the community, you know, mm-hmm. go together. What I look at it is when you go to a village that has been traumatized by war, the people are happy because the people are moving with it together. The people are able to sing song. There's always an activity. There's music. Music is the soul food at that time because they sing and in that singing it creates strong vibrations in their body that let them keep hope because when you let hope die that's it you know you don't want to see tomorrow nobody want to leave somebody has to create a situation so tomorrow is gonna come Mm -hmm. you know and then you see the strengths from this old mothers, old men, you know, it's like they see something ahead and they're able to, to, to create that hope. People heal quickly in the, in, 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 in the community where people are moving together than a community where everybody's individualistic because everything could go well for a person. And when the things go wrong, it's your community that holds you back. You fall back to the community. Mm-hmm. 
your mother will be the first one to hold you, then your aunties, then the neighbors, then the next thing is the whole village is behind you. So just sometime it's not, it could be the songs they're singing. It could be them just, they're present. It could be you walking out and somebody giving you a smile. So that beauty that you begin to see is what keeps people going. I love that. Well, let's do this. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's let's start talking about your work as a, a musician and an activist. I mean, I, I don't imagine that you decided that you're going to be a musician and it was smooth sailing and suddenly, you know, you're standing on the stage at TED. Um, talk to me about that journey, because I know that the journey of any creative person or any artist is, is absolutely a struggle before they get big breaks. So I'd love for you to walk us through kind of the that that thing and, and sort of the molding moments um, in that that experience. Well, it's not easy for me when I decided to rap. The first time I went to a studio, I got kicked out by the producer. They told us, hey, you guys don't know what to do. You're crap. You can't rap out. So we went out. But I wasn't really that upset. So I said, how can I do it better? So, and I kept doing my thing. So I found a producer called Junior. So he used to have a keyboard. And so I used to rap there, he didn't mind. So he's, he's beginning as himself as a producer. And so I used to do my thing. Then we're going to try it out in the church. The kids would like it. Critics never liked it, you know, because there are people who know music, those who know, or those who have failed in their career and are not going ahead. They're very good at slaying others from climbing. You know, they become almost like crabs. When you're trying to climb up the ladder, Another crab jump on top of you and you all fall down. But here, what became great is the kids. The kids were not trying to be critical. They just want to enjoy. And so when I do a song in the church, I'll see the kids get excited. So I used to rap offbeat, so I didn't know how to go about it. So I tried to sing in a choir. It didn't work. But with time, I decided to compare how do people used to do it back at home. I listened to hip, I said, oh, these guys are just talking over the beat. And I kept doing that. Then one day uh, I did an album, there's a man called Andrew Shan and the school that I was starting in called Brook House. They all helped me out. And so I recorded an album, shot a music video. One of my songs became an international hit. And that song gave me international attention where I came to study in England, uh, where I came to, to Live Aid in, in UK. And since then, I was not, since then my career started, there's been something here on and on. And every year I'm just going up and up. But some of the bad side of the music industry is that one time I signed a terrible record deal, you know, mm -hmm. where all my publishing was taken for life. And when I was trying to talk, I was told, hey, this is what we do for Africans. You don't give them better deals because this is the, how it is. I mean, it was to go in the industry. The industry sometimes can rape you, you know. And I came to it with the peace and lovey-dovey. Then at one time I said, look, this is a battlefield. You know, the guys here, that the guys that are like soldiers, they're cold-hearted. It's a real war. You know, I know there are the war, but this war is tormenting because it's the war of your mind. In the war of using words, you know, and where everything that you own can be taken. You see, being in a concrete jungle it's different than being in a real jungle. Because in a concrete jungle, you don't know the difference between a lion and a hippo. Mm -hmm. You don't know the difference between a mouse and an antelope. So everything is same. Only time will tell that you really know, okay. So you have to like gather the characteristics, almost like you're in a laboratory trying to to do a test to know this is this product, you can. But in the real jungle, you know, when it make this noise, that's a lion, that's a snake, that's a tree. So it's easy for you to be able to survive and begin to be, keep your innocence 
and begin to work with the community. Here, sometimes even your own community can rip you into pieces because the same demon in the concrete jungle have possessed them. And so, and that's the challenge that I had to go through and try to juggle. How can I fight in this battlefield and still keep myself? You know, many opportunities came where I was told, you cannot rap like this, you're not going to make it. Keep rapping in your mother tongue. Hey, you can't talk about politics. Hey, you need to be a gangster because you've seen the real deal. You need to be hard. Why are you acting like a soft person? You know? Mm -hmm. So, and I said, like, how will I glorify killing people? You know, I can, it's not fun. Yeah. You know? You can only, you see, you can't, you can't, it's hard to talk about because human life is different. You know, you're trying to face the ghost. And any person who's a real killer don't find it fun talking about it. You know, mm -hmm. nobody will go and boost about how amazing is killing. Even if you find a terrorist that have taken a bomb and blew up a place, and if you're able to find them in the next live and ask them, do you find it fun? They'll tell you no. Yeah. And so those are the questions. So, and I began to say, look, this is what I'll do. I don't have pride here. I cannot have bling bling and just move around flashy and trying to be somebody I'm not. My people are being fed on aid food dropping from the sky, there's still war. What pride do I have when my grandmother's still walking naked or there's no hospital to take little kids from my village to go and get treatment? So I said, I'm going to use my voice for these people who can't speak for themselves. Hmm. I love that. You know, so... I have a, another question specifically around, um, you know, creating art through our own experiences in our lives. I mean, when you when you work with other artists, I mean, you look at, uh, you know, not just musicians, writers, I mean, people who do what I do and people who do what AJ does. We're all artists of various sorts. And I'm always really curious, you know, how we look at the own experiences we've had in our own lives and bring that into our art in a way that... Um, is impactful on the people who consume that art. Does that make sense? Yeah, what I'm saying, our experiences are stories. And stories are food for your spirit, for your soul. They strengthen your soul and clean up your mind so your conscience can become clear. Stories can shape the future. You know, stories can bring people together. In stories, we can become wise. In stories, we can gain knowledge. So stories is the way we survived, or our ancestors survived before people were able to write. Children were taught how to become something through stories. And so, it's very important that we use our art form to tell stories. You could fictionize storytelling. It's also great. But any tool, any skills that you have, if you use it with a purpose, it will do you good and it will help you shape our world for better. If you have a skill whatever art form it is, if you don't use it properly, it will destroy you and at the same time destroy our world. And so the way I look at artists is, artists are the modern day's prophets. You know, we, with our work, we are able to prophesy about the future. We're able to show guidelines we're able to speak to people's souls. We're able to wake them up from their dying consciences. 
So we are like, I want to go a bit complicated. So the way I look at the world now is the world is changing. It's evolving and powers are shifting. Now the powers, the most powerful institutions now are corporations. So corporations have become the modern empires and the empires are rising. And the strongest ones becomes the, 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 the empire of the empires become on the top. And so and then you have charities that have placed the church. So they're doing the work the church or the mosque is supposed to do. Love, give. So they become the modern high priests. Then now we have the artists, the activists, the people who have a form of art or whatever tool that they have, either they're doing it for better or good, they've become the modern day's prophets. Then the presidents have lost powers. So they become the generals that fight the battles for their corporations. And so now from that place, we ask ourselves a question, where are you? Because you could be a false prophet or you could be the prophet of truth. Wow. I think that makes uh, just a beautiful end to our conversation. So, Emmanuel, I have one final question for you um, that we close all our interviews here with uh, at the Unmistakable Creative. You know, as an artist, as a musician, as a creator, what is it uh, that you think makes somebody or something unmistakable? I mean, what I would say is we're not perfect. And only time can tell where we are, we'll make mistakes, or we move on. And as long as you're in public eye, you're no longer your, your own. Everybody will have an entire will will have an opinion to what you're doing, but only you know in your heart where you're going. Sometimes some of us don't know where they're going, but the summation of choices that you take every day will paint the picture of where you're going. That would be your destiny. Mm. And I think the best thing an artist could do is to leave something that the next generation can learn from. And if they didn't achieve the dream that they want to achieve, then that generation would learn from it and take it from where they left it to the other side. Amazing. Uh, really, just an absolutely beautiful conversation. Emmanuel, uh, uh, first off, let me say it has been my absolute pleasure to have you here as a guest on Unmistakable Creative. Uh, I have a feeling that our audience is going to be really blown away by your message. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights and your story with our listeners here at the Unmistakable Creative. Well, thank you. But before I forget, like, uh, I, have to, I want to inform you that um, I'm working on a new album that is coming out in September. Mm-hmm. And all the proceeds from that album are going to go to an enterprise and that is going to help small business owners who have a heart for children. So it's proceeds that come out of it is they'll be used to, to fund entrepreneurs who want to start a business that helps children. And so the album is called Key. So, and um, I'm collaborating in making it happen with a man called Paul Lindley. So we've formed that enterprise together. So I have a couple of features in it, big names like Nelly Furtado. I've just done a song with Nile Rogers called My Power, which is going to be released as my single. So that is uh, what I can add. So maybe we can send you music if you want to use them on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that'd be awesome. And, uh, uh, you know, for those of you guys listening, you'll probably get to hear some of that at the beginning of this episode. And uh, we'll wrap the show with that. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. 
visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.